So we're in the midst of a series called Smoke from a Fire, where the emotions in our lives often are indicators of things that are going on deeper in our lives. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about confusion and we've talked about anger. We've talked about the ways that we can handle those particular emotions, how we can walk through those emotions. And today we're going to talk about another emotion that all of us have felt at some point or another. We're going to talk today specifically about shame and really just one aspect of shame. I'll explain that in just a moment. But shame is a wide, just like all of these emotions, you can experience them in a wide gamut of ways. From simple embarrassment to things that are much more serious. Some people kind of think of shame as just the companion of guilt. That it's the extreme form of guilt. That it's guilt on steroids, if you will. That guilt is feeling bad about something you did and shame is feeling really bad about something that you did. And while it is true that guilt can produce shame, shame is different. Guilt often has this feeling that I did something bad. I did something wrong. I did something that is not in line with what God would have me to do. Shame turns that into an I am bad because of it. That I, there's something wrong. There's something bad about me. When I think about this, I think about the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis chapter 3, when they are in the perfect garden, they're there, they walk around, the serpent tempts them, Eve takes a bite, hands the fruit to her husband, her husband Adam takes a bite, and then it says, and when they heard the Lord God walking among them that day, they hid. And when God asked them why they hid, it also tells us that in that moment that they saw themselves naked and were ashamed. And they asked why they hid. He says, because we were scared. So there is this element that shame and guilt do go together, that we feel bad about something we did. And often that leads to us feeling bad about ourselves. But shame is not just attached always to something that we did. In fact, sometimes shame is attached to some traumatic event in our past, some traumatic event in our lives, some abuse or somebody that continually told us things about ourselves or even things that we have no control over in our lives. And so shame is this kind of multifaceted thing. We may feel bad about who we are, not only because of things that we've done wrong, but because of who we are or what we've been told or what people have said about us. And so as I began to walk through this particular emotion this week, I realized there is no way that I can cover all of that in one sermon and get you out at a reasonable time and make any sense about what I was doing. And so I'm going to split this sermon into two sermons. We had originally intended to move on next week to something else, but I just feel it's too important. As I delved into this, just felt the Lord kind of saying to me that this is too important to put in one, that we need to split it into two. So we're going to do that. And next week we're going to deal with shame that comes from outside sources or things that are outside of your control. But this week we're going to talk specifically about shame that comes from guilt over something that we did. Now just to kind of focus you in again on this emotion of shame, Counselor Ed Welch says this, Shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, unacceptable, and unworthy of love because of something you've done, something done to you, 
or something associated with you. And again, today we're going to focus on that first part, that unworthy because of something you've done. Which leads us to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a remarkable psalm. It is a remarkable declaration of the king of a nation of the sinfulness in his own life. And it's a pattern for us about how we deal with things that we have done in our lives that might bring us guilt and shame. Now here's the thing. I could take the next 10 to 15 minutes to list out a bunch of things that you may or may not have done that could bring guilt and shame into your lives. But my guess is that when I even begin to talk about the subject, that's already at the forefront. Like Just from talking to people in my almost 20 years of full-time Christian ministry, one of the things that I can almost assure you of is that people generally know what they've done wrong, even if they're not ready to admit it right away. And they know deep down how it makes them feel and what they're upset about and what's there. And so I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time for you to, to get into the place where you have to think about what it is to dive deep in to find out. Because most of you in this room know what it is. Some of you have guilt over something that happened last week or last night. Or last year or last decade. Or the last three decades. And today I want to focus on what do we do when we find ourselves in that place. And we will. Psalm 51. Now a lot of times when we start these psalms, we just start in verse 1. But there is a ton of information in Psalm 51 before we ever get to verse 1. Psalm 51 says, for the choir director. So this is to be performed. This is to be declared. It's a psalm written by David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Now that's a very mild way to put what happened. Amen? Right? It perhaps is one of the most famous sins in the history of the world. This is a psalm David wrote in the immediate aftermath of Nathan coming to him. Now just to set the scene to remind us of the severity of what David did. This story is recorded, by the way, if you want to go back and look at the whole story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. In 2 Samuel 11, we're told that David, while he is supposed to be at war, stays home. And one day, while he is at his place, is up looking and overlooks and sees Bathsheba bathing. And becomes attracted to her and cannot stop the attraction calls for her in that society. If the king calls for you, you cannot refuse. Bathsheba comes. David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then there's the problem. The problem is that Bathsheba's married. <clears throat> now, as Bathsheba's married there, she has a husband. David realizes the problem because... Not only did he commit adultery, but Bathsheba is going to have a child. So what does David do to the husband? Sends him. First of all, he calls him home to try to get him to uh, participate in a plan to cover up his own sin. 
And when he refuses to that because Bathsheba's husband was too godly and too loyal to David to do that, David sends him back to the front lines with his own death notice, basically. A command for the whole army to pull away from him. He, not looking at it at all, delivers it to his commander. The whole, navy, the whole army pulls back and he is killed. And then David lives with that for months. One day, Nathan, the court prophet of David, comes in and tells David this story about a man who had everything he could ever want and about his neighbor who had one sheep. The neighbor has the one sheep and the man that has everything he wants goes over and steals the sheep from the neighbor and takes it. And then Nathan says, what should be done to that man? And as he tells him that story in four verses, David goes nuts. He should be punished. He should be, he should take away them and take away all of his sheep and give them to the man. And then Nathan looks at David in one of the most tense moments in scripture because you don't say these sort of things to a king in those days. And he says, David, you are the man. Now, that's not used in modern terms, like when somebody hits an awesome golf shot and you're like, you're the man. That's not what's intended there. What's intended are you're the guy that stole the poor man's sheep. And then Nathan tells him what's going to happen. That God's about to punish him. And he lists off several things that are going to happen. And in the aftermath of that, of David's sin, and not some small, petty sin. Now, we all realize that in the understanding and the economy of God, all sins are equal. Amen? Because they are all committed against a holy, eternal, all-powerful God. Now, so all sins are equal in the economy of God, but the consequences of sins can vary significantly. Amen? David's sins had major consequences to his actions. And then you get to Psalm 51. And these psalms are meant to be sung or read all as one. And so we're going to do that. And then we're going to walk back and look at four things out of this that helps us in the moment of what's happening. In that moment when we feel shame, when we feel guilt, when we feel um, that pain that comes or we are found out or realize what we've done. Psalm 51 starting in verse 1 says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. 
Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then, O Lord, I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You were not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. Four things that we see David do in this moment that you can do in the midst of your own guilt and shame. In fact, I said this earlier, but if there's something that comes to mind when I begin to talk about that, if there's something that that immediately comes to mind, immediately surfaces in your life, then I want you to think about that particular thing during the rest of this message and walk through these steps. Even as I'm speaking, you walk through these steps. Or if you think, no, no, that's going to be something different, that's got to be in a different place and a different time, then you can go home and write these steps down, open up Psalm 51 and just read it. The steps are going to come straight from here and then deal with that issue in that way. First thing that must happen in our lives. As we were asking the questions of how can I ever recover when I've done something this wrong? How can I erase the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment? How do I find courage and strength to deal with all the consequences? How do I restore the relationships in my life? The relationship with my Lord, the relationship with my family, the relationship with my church, the relationship with outsiders. How do I restore the purpose of my life? When you read Psalm 51, the first step to all of that is that you have to come clean with God and ask for his forgiveness. Now, here's what's key and important about this is that you come to the Lord honestly, with no defense, with no excuse, with no blaming, with just simply being open. You don't rationalize, you don't minimize, you don't excuse or spin your own sin. You come to the Lord and you say, I have blown it. Here's how I have blown it. And I have no excuse I have no blame to pass around. God, this is who I am. This is what David does. I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you, God, and you alone, I have sinned. One of the things I like about the Christian Standard Bible's version of this, translation of this, is that word rebellion is used again and again. And the idea behind that literally is that I have chosen to be your enemy. I am like someone that was supposed to be on your side that has taken the other side and done something against what you would have me to do. I am rebelling against God Almighty. And I have no excuses for it, Lord. I'm not blaming anybody. This is what I've done. This is my sin. I mentioned Genesis 3 earlier, and I just want you to compare and think about the difference between David's reaction here and 
In Genesis chapter 3, the reaction. Right? Remember they found out? God walks with them. What were you doing? Why were you here? Why are you hiding? And then God says, did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Again, we've asked, we, we've talked about this when we've talked about Genesis 3. we talked about Genesis 3 a lot. It's foundational for our understanding of sin. But that's not a question God is asking because he doesn't already know. And for us to ever think that we are going to reveal something to God about the sinfulness in our lives that he doesn't already know is completely ridiculous. Do you remember what Adam said? Did Adam come out and say, you're right, Lord, you told us not to eat. I am so sorry. We have sinned against you. I don't even know what that word means, Lord, but it just came because this is bad. This is really bad. This was not supposed to happen. Is that what Adam does? What does Adam do? Well, yeah, I got idea, but let me, let me explain. Let me explain. It's the woman. That's the reason. The woman, right? And then he blames who? He blames the woman and God. It's the woman you gave me, God. And then he goes to the woman. What does the woman do? Yeah, yeah. But it's this serpent. Do you see the shift of blame there? Now imagine if David would have come and he said, God, but she shouldn't have been out on the roof. God, if you, you could have not let me see her. God, will Uzziah, if he would have just done what I asked him to do, this would have all been covered up a long time ago. Nobody would be worried about this. That's not what David does, is it? He comes clean with the Lord. I've said this before, but Paul Tripp, I just think it's a beautiful, accurate image. Not necessarily beautiful because it's bad, but it's an accurate image. That all of us, because of our own sinfulness, have an inner defense attorney that rises to our defense whenever we feel we are being challenged, even by God. And if you want this guilt and shame to walk out of your life, the first thing you have to do is to come completely clean with the one who already knows it. Well, why won't people come clean before the Lord with others? Or why would they resist to... A leading kind of um, counseling agency said there are primarily three different reasons. One is because you're afraid you'll lose your reputation. Afraid that your sterling reputation of who you are will be lost. The second is because there's something in your life that you know is wrong, but you enjoy it a little too much. And you're afraid of losing your favorite sin. And the third is you're afraid of losing the security of what the consequences might bring if you admitted this. When you think about David for a minute, think about what he had to lose. Now it's brought forth, Nathan brings it forth, but in that day and time, listen, kings dealt with far worse than this kind of thing because they were kings and they just got rid of it. Now it wouldn't have been biblically right, but David could have. And think about what David had to lose, his reputation. What is he known as in the Bible? David is known as what? The man... After God's own heart. That means that he is pursuing what God wants him to pursue, where God wants him to pursue. He was the godly king and compared to Saul, who was the ungodly king. He was the wonder boy that is leading them into this golden age. He was the greatest king of Israel who was following God with all his heart. The psalmist, the one who poured out his heart to God. And yet we know him now as those things and the king who committed adultery and had a man murdered. 
Was his reputation on the line here? Absolutely. What about his favorite sin? Well, maybe not his favorite sin, but Bathsheba was now what to him? What happened after Uzziah died and all that? What happened? David and Bathsheba became husband and wife. They have a child coming. Nathan, in his description, said that child's not going to live as a consequence of your sin, David. But here's the thing. That relationship might never be the same. Security. We know from Scripture that there were consequences of this sin down the line. Solomon, David's son, would become king, but not after significant turmoil for that to happen. Another one of David's sons would try to have a coup, did have a coup. And some of the judgment that is listed by God in this time happens in David's life. But David came to the point where he realized in a moment that not coming clean with God was the most severe thing that could happen to him. No matter what the other consequences were. So in Psalm 51, just a little farther down. Verse 8, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. You're like, what is that about? We're given a little more insight into that because what we discover is when we don't come clean with God and that shame and that guilt exist in our lives, we are crushed. Psalm 32, verses 2 through 4. I think we've got that on the screen. This is David and another one of his psalms. says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, so for that nine months, that year, that time frame when he kept silent before Nathan confronted him, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. He had no energy, he felt pressed, he felt tense, he felt heavy the whole time. And in Psalm 51, he's referencing he goes, those bones that you have crushed, those bones that you have, that you have wasted away, Lord, because of my sin and my guilt, Lord, I'm asking you to restore all of that. And he does ask, not only does he come clean before the Lord, but he comes clean before the Lord and then he asks him to forgive him. Which is just as important as the coming clean. Don't just come clean to the Lord and go, there it is, Lord, there it all is. Then you ask, Lord, I know, because for us on this side of the cross, I know that my sin has been forgiven, Lord. Help me to accept the forgiveness that you've given me. And David tells us why we can call upon the Lord, come clean with him, and ask him for forgiveness. It's because he tells us in the very beginning of God's unfailing love. And his deep, abundant compassion. If we did not have an unfailing love of God and a God of deep, abundant compassion, then coming clean to him would not be something that would bring joy. But scripture teaches us that he's unfailing, always pursuing, always going after 
It's his loyal covenant love that's being described here. That he will keep his end of the bargain. And he has promised us that when we come to him and we confess our sins before him, that he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins. The word compassion there, when you take those two words apart, that it's made up in English of compassion, it means with and in passion. We think of like intensity, which is true. But you think about when we talk about the last week of Christ, what do we call that? We call it the what week? Passion week. Passion there means suffering. And so that original word, compassion, means to suffer with. And what that means is God is deeply involved in how we feel and understand. And God's compassion doesn't want us to have that guilt and shame upon us because He understands that feeling within us. The word originally described the internal organs of someone, which is where they thought all of the deep seat of emotion was. So the first and most important step is that we must come clean before the Lord and ask Him to forgive us is the most important step. And just to be frank and honest with you, it is the most difficult step. Second thing, it's going to sound a little bit like the first, but it's moving past that. It's moving. Once we've come clean and we've asked for forgiveness, the second thing we do is we accept responsibility for our sin and we accept God's forgiveness on His terms. Notice David uses the word my a lot. I have sinned. My sin. I was guilty before I was born. My rebellion. My sin. Five times in three verses, he claims responsibility for the sin in his life. Now when he says that when I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was sinful, he is not blaming his mother or anything there. What he is stating is that he has a sin problem that goes deeper than just what happened with Bathsheba. As horrid and terrible as that adultery and murder was, that goes deeper than that, that the sin has an internal issue that is the problem. What that means for us as well is this, that yes, we know. And one of the things that's said about us is we talk about original sin, that all human beings have, are infected with this disease, if you will, this rebellion against God, the sin in our lives. We talk about, you know, to err is human or to, to sin is human almost. And the idea behind that is, yes, we are born with a sin nature. But what we also must come to realize is that our original sin nature does not excuse us from the responsibility for my individual. Individual sins. And I am responsible for my sins. Nobody else is responsible for my sins. Other people may even tempt me or get me to think about those things or may lead me down a path. But ultimately, I am in charge of my own decisions and my own sin. And definitely other people can be affected by the consequences of my sin. But I am personally responsible for the sin in my lives. And when we come to the Lord and we take responsibility for those sins, we accept forgiveness on his terms. We do not try to cut deals with God about our forgiveness. I remember as a child, I used to play this game with the Lord. And I realize now it's not a game because I was talking to the almighty Lord of the universe. Where if something were happening in my life, I would ask to... Be forgiven and get out of the consequences of it. And if that happened, God, I'll never ask you for anything else again in my life. 
One time I was playing soccer in my bedroom with one of those bouncy balls you get from Walmart. You know what I'm talking about, big balls. And I kicked it through the window. And I prayed God would just let me, let my parents not know about it. And I would figure a way to fix it. And if that would happen, I would never ask him for anything in the rest of my life. And that prayer was answered no in about 10 seconds. When mom and dad came through the door and we put a Christmas out. Y'all know albums? Y'all remember what those were? Vinyl? They're making a comeback, I know, uh, for all the millennials. Um, We put a vinyl album cover over the spot in the window that said Merry Christmas out front. And that was there for a couple of years, I think. But even as adults, we will say, Lord, here it is. Here's I'm coming clean. I want you to know this. And God, if you forgive me, that'd be great. And if you could forgive me and not let me experience or have or know. It's not our, we're in no place to negotiate with God. You just accept it. You accept the forgiveness on his terms. It's interesting. He does ask to be clean with hyssop. And we'll talk in a minute. He does ask for things to be limited, but there's a reason behind it. In this moment, he's saying, Lord, I want to be forgiven. The word hyssop is used there. That was ceremonial ritual cleansing. And he's saying, Lord, I just want to know that you've forgiven me. Let me just say this to you on this side of the cross and resurrection. That if you have asked God to forgive you and you have come clean with what's happening in your life and you have genuinely asked God to forgive you, he has. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment you accepted Christ, God forgave your sins past, present and future. Now, he still wants us to come clean because that does more for us and getting it out and admitting it to the Lord and getting our hearts in the right place to hear from him. But based on what Jesus Christ has done, you are forgiven. Now, let me say that to you to say this. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they will say a phrase like this to me. I just don't know that I can forgive myself. And here's what I will say to you about that in a loving way. If God is for, has forgiven you, then how in the world do you think you have the power to undo what God has done? If God has forgiven you, if God has told us that based on the blood of Jesus Christ, how can you say, well, God may forgive me, but I don't know that I can forgive myself. It's arrogant to think that there is something that God has done that we can undo or not allow him to do. And so we come clean before the Lord. We ask him for forgiveness. We accept responsibility for our sin and accept the forgiveness on his terms. And then the third thing is we ask God for a fresh work to restore you and your purpose. For me, ask God for a fresh work to restore me and my purpose. He says this in verse 10, God Create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word create there is the word bara, which is from the same, same word used in Genesis. It is only used of God in the Old Testament, and it literally means to make something out of nothing. It is a miraculous kind of creation. This is not someone throws a pile of Legos on the floor and you figure out a way to make that into a house. This is you create the Legos that you then use out of nothing to build a house. 
And what he says is, God, I need a brand new work in my life. And I need a new heart to create out of this dirt, out of this grime of my life. I need you to give me a fresh start out of nothing. I need a miraculous redoing of my heart. And then he says that I need a steadfast spirit. The idea there is that I want to hang in there. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take away your spirit from me. God, give me the ability to keep searching for you, to keep longing for you, to keep working for you, to keep going for you. And Lord, please don't remove your presence. You see, David became king after King Saul. And David remembered that when Saul disobeyed God, what did it say God did? He removed his presence from Saul as king, his blessing from Saul as king, and he anointed David as the next. He's saying, God, give me another chance. Create a new heart in me. Give me the ability to focus on you and restore the purpose of my life. He says, and God, if you do that, if you do that, if you see fit to do that, and it is up to you, but if you see fit to do that, then God, restore my purpose. I will tell the rebellious about your goodness. I will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips or give me the ability to shout forth your praise. God, I want to be used by you for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom. God, I want to be used as your king still, as someone that is doing your purpose. So God, now that I have lifted up and come clean about my own sin and accepted the responsibility for that sin and asked you for forgiveness and accepted that forgiveness. Now, Lord, I ask you in the next step, can you restore not only Not only my sin forgiven, but restore the purpose of my life to declare your glory and to spread your kingdom. Now, for David, that was literally declaring the glory through his singing, through his declaration, and literally declaring and moving the kingdom of God forward on earth in the form of Israel. But for us, it is declaring the glory of God through our lives and the way that we worship him and the way that we declare him. But then moving forward, the kingdom of God, give me purpose in declaring your name to the ends of the earth. And he says, Lord, I know that you don't want me just to come with a heart that is disconnected from you and give you offering and sacrifice and ritual. Lord, I want to be renewed completely from within. Do something fresh, something new in my life so that I can be restored to your purpose. And there's verse 18 and 19. And can I tell you that I looked at several um, Bible studies and sermons and different things on this particular passage over the last few days. And there are a lot of them that just kind of end in verse 17. But by the way, that, that's a, a very famous verse, right? A broken heart and a contrite spirit you will not despise. Paired when you do that with verse 16, that you don't want to sacrifice or I would give it, that you don't want a burnt offering, you want a contrite heart. Paired with that, it's a famous verse. But verse 18 and 19, there's an important thing here. He says, in your good pleasure, call Zion to prosper, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. He says, basically, and this is the last thing, and it's okay to pray this for a reason. I'll give you that reason in just a minute. He prays for limited fallout. 
Now, I want you to know, first of all, this comes at the very end. So this is not the first concern on David's heart. The first concern on David's heart is this is how bad it is right now. And it's my fault. And I'm asking your forgiveness. And I'm asking you to restore my heart. And I'm asking you to use me for your glory. And Lord, if you could limit the fallout and the consequences that come from my sin, that would be great. Now, here's the reason. This is the reason for our existence. He says, if you could spare Zion, Jerusalem, then your name will be made great and it will be worshipped and the nations will know who you are. That's what it's about. We'll build the walls of Jerusalem. That means it'll be secure and strong. Zion will prosper. You will delight in the righteous sacrifice. Not just ritualistic, righteous sacrifices, burnt offerings, and bulls will be offered. He's saying, Lord, if we could build this city for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, so that people will see how great and glorious you are and would spread your fame across the earth, then, Lord, I am praying that you would limit the consequences, the fallout from my sin for your namesake and for the glory of your kingdom. I'm not asking it to be hidden because listen, you and I are talking about David's sin 3,000 years later. I would not consider that to have been hidden sin. Amen? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, proud enough to think that somebody's going to be talking about my sins 3,000 years from now. But that would be a prayer on my list. God, I know I'm the king of Israel. God, if you could just kind of keep this private, that'd be great. That's not what David says. David says, I don't care that people know. I pray that your kingdom will not be impacted by my sin. For the sake of your name and for the spread of your kingdom. So where are you? What's that sin, sins in your life? Present, past, thing you're struggling with at this moment. That you need to come clean before the Lord. You need to admit things to Him. And you need to accept His forgiveness on His terms. And pray that God would create a new heart in you. For the glory of His name. For the purpose of spreading His kingdom. What does that look like for you? In just a moment, we're going to... We're going to have a time of response. We've been doing responses a little differently during this day, and we're still going to do it a little differently, but we're going to add something today. Still, we'd love if you're here and God's working in your life, there's a card if you're here in person that you can fill out and put on the seat and leave it, and we'll come get it later. If you're online, you can leave us a comment. You can email me at pastor at com. You can go to com forward slash connect and leave us some information. Let me know I can pray for you. Let me know what's going on in your life. Let me know how God is working. But if you're in person today, we're going to add this. Some of you may just need to come and pray. You may need to pray and we're going to open the altar today. Socially distant. You don't feel comfortable, then then you don't, don't have to come. But if the Lord's laid on your heart that you need to come and pray, maybe it's for you, maybe it's for something in your life, maybe it's for something in your past, maybe it's somebody you know, we're going to open it for prayer. And we're going to spend time responding to the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. And first of all, we are sinful people. 
And Lord, the sins in our lives are incalculable within the economy of eternity. But Lord, we know that you are God that has forgiven us. And so, Lord, for our own health and for our own spiritual walk, for the things that may be preventing us from seeing you or being with you or talking with you or or being used by you, Lord, I pray that all across this room, people would have things that come to their mind, guilt and shame that comes in their life because of something they've done. And, Lord, that today would be a day of breakthrough. Lord, let this, first of all, be a place, your church, Where it's okay to not be okay. Where it's okay to struggle, Lord. Where it's okay to have problems. Where it's okay, Lord, to be dealing with, as you are sanctifying us, the sin in our own lives. And let us be people, Lord. Let us be individuals that are never above coming directly to you and admitting what's going on in our lives. Admitting, Lord, the sin in our lives taking responsibility for it and asking for your forgiveness to restore us to living on purpose for you. So Lord, I pray that that happens in this place today. I pray, Lord, that all across this room that guilt and shame would be removed from people's lives about things that you have already forgiven and that people would come clean with you, Lord, for the first time about some things that you already know. And Lord, that you will set people free in this room and for everybody watching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.